Imagine having all, guess all, of your learning challenges solved. With the Tables Learning Suite, an AI-powered LMS built for enterprise, you can tackle any challenge. You can easily create and manage content, deliver training, and measure the business impact of your programs. Dechebo is built for customers, partners, and employees alike, with dozens of integrations to embed directly in the flow of work. Check out Dechebo today at docebo.com. Welcome to C-Lab. I am Dave Darrington, and this is the Customer Education Laboratory, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, just like we're doing today with a new platform. We'll talk to you about that more. And we exterminate those myths and bad advice that stops growth dead in its tracks. Well, today, we'd like to welcome... Shelly Greaves. Shelly, can you provide a brief intro to yourself and I'll bring you on camera here. Welcome to you. Tell us about yourself, Shelly. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. And thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I am from the accent. You can tell I'm based in Australia, but I work for ServiceNow and I am the Director of Collaborative Learning. Fantastic. Collaborative Learning. Now, I'm really excited about hearing all of this because that's something you don't those two words put together, I don't hear a lot about that in customer ed. So we're going to go deep into this talk. We're going to talk about a lot of really cool things, programs that you're setting up at ServiceNow, things that you've learned that you're going to bring to the table. And I think you just recently got back from a tour at uh, ATD, right? Yeah, I just presented at the ATD conference in San Diego with 10,000 of my closest friends. It was super exciting to see everybody back in person at that scale. And super excited to see how many people are keen to learn more in this space as well. So that was really exciting as well. That is amazing. And did you find, even at ETD, typically that's been you know talent development, less so customer ed. But was there, was there more of a, a discussion around the customer education world that we tend to live in? There was, I would say, two big things I took away from there were skilling and reskilling and AI. The two biggest topics I think that I saw that interest me. And there were certainly a lot of things around talent development, but equally around customer education as well. Wonderful. Okay, we're going to get into all that. I want to learn a little bit more about AI because that's a hot topic today. All right, so let's go into the thing that we always like to do, the international or the national day of. And today, we have the national name your poison today day. Okay, that's fun. It is also, and we've got a couple others here, National Best Friends Day, World Oceans Day, and we're, we're a world apart. <laughs> little joke. With you being in the South and me being in the North, it's quite a ways. I think my both favorite... Both on the Pacific, though. <laughs> yeah, both on the Pacific, but it's a big ocean. All right. Well, let's get going today. So again, let me take a minute where I like to always do a frame up. And when you, you and I were talking, we've talked asynchronously for, gosh, a while now. Unfortunately, we wanted to get together a couple months ago, but here we are. And one of the things that we wanted to break into is exactly what, you know, related to your job title. I'm intrigued by the concept of cohort program design and cohort learning. I don't want to steal your thunder on that, but the, the key is there's more to teaching and more to learning than just the 
hey, I'm going to go on demand and I'm going to look at a video and check out and get on my onboarding done, right? So cool. can you help me tee this up? Let's, let's lead into that. And can you hold the space around what this field is, what you're breaking into? Because again, this is neat stuff. I haven't heard a lot about this. And I, and I want you to take the stage and share with our audience all about it. So you got the floor. Let's start uh, going from there. Let's dive in. So cohort learning, the, the true hallmarks of cohort learning are learning as a group and learning together on a journey. So typically we would see this in things like leadership programs, uh, sales onboarding, onboarding of employees. The space that I'm looking at is in service now is we actually do it for our most elite uh, advanced users in ServiceNow. So we have architect programs, but we also have entry-level programs from people that are moving into the tech industry. We have vet, um, sorry, vet programs where we're reskilling people, leaving the military after a period of time and everything in between that. And what's really great about cohort learning is this is a chance for people to learn with each other and from each other. So a place to share experiences beyond things like self-paced training and videos and stuff like that. So it has a bit of everything. We do have our programs that have self-paced learning as one modality. We have videos mm -hmm. in there. We have RISE courses. We have video assessments, which we can talk about a little bit more, which has been a game changer for us. But for me, I think the biggest part about learning in a cohort is what you learn from each other in that space as well. Yeah, that social substrate of learning where... I go to you and it's much more valuable coming from a peer or my leader or someone that really knows, hey, Dave, we use a product here like this and it does this and this is what I can tell you about it. And that, I mean, let me back up a little bit because I think this is a really neat topic because you're bridging two fields in a way. We've got the talent development, you know, learning, develop, learning and development field where I think is that's where you're saying the the genesis and the origin of this cohort learning typically comes out of that 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 world that universe right but now you have abstracted that and brought that into more of that customer motif where you're saying now and I see this a lot like I was I was just thinking about a lot of the social influencers who are breaking off from companies like the company I was at I was at out, outreach previously people broken off from there and now they're doing their own little cohort programs where they get 20, 50, 100 people into a group and they all learn together and they've got a community and they're doing all this cool stuff. And I, I was part of that. And I can't tell you how fun and motivating and the dopamine that comes out of that, you know? It, it, it's, it's very exciting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I can see the excitement that you're saying. And that's what we see in our students that come through our cohort programs because they're excited to not only learn the content and get certifications for some of our programs and things like that, but that invaluable experience from other people, but it's also the group accountability as well. Like you're in there together, you're having great discussions, you're talking about things that people in that space are passionate about as well. So it's not just all about the content. It's actually more about organic conversations like we're having here today and hearing, hey, I did a thing on this customer last week and this was really successful or I learned the hard way that that wasn't going to work. And so that experience comes to the table and you can't put that in a textbook. You can't put that in any kind of learning content when it's real life experience. And for us in our most elite programs, this is talking about customer success. How do we make our customers more successful? Well, we learned this mistake, so we're not going to do that again. Here's some leading practices that can help you avoid that next time. Or perhaps if you do X with Y, you're going to get 
Z as an outcome. So all of those things are discussed and they're discussed in a really safe place and all of it leads to greater success for our customers because that knowledge is being shared by people with that field experience as well. Right. Oh, that's incredible. Well, let's think about where we want to break into this. And I think, again, you've done a good job telling us like how, what, like the core of this is, but maybe you can talk about in context of ServiceNow and programs you're developing and launching. You talked about your VET program. Uh, you've talked about reskilling, upskilling. I know that when I worked at Outreach, we had a, a strong VET program. That that program was to help transition people that had been in active military. Now they're coming off. They've got skills, but they need they they need more. You know, they don't need just go watch this silly video. Same thing goes for I've got oh gosh, there are always these tech incubators where they're bringing people in to learn about computer science and stuff, and then do cohorts for that. So so maybe you could start there. You know, like talking about what what's the genesis of this? Where did you? When did you start? Where, what was the first kind of program you developed and, and how has this evolved? I joined our training and certification organization about four years ago. I'd been with ServiceNow for seven years now and I came yeah. across to run this Master Architect program, which is our most elite program. It was a cohort program, six months by design, and they had just finished the pilot. And so I came across to run the Asia-Pacific component of that. And so I was green, very green in this space, came in and I had kicked off my cohort, had been shadowing in the background. There was a second cohort running and then I came in to run the third cohort from this part of the world. And we took everybody over to our head office in Santa Clara. We had a great week together and it was all very exciting, but it was also March of 2020. (laughs) And so that came, getting off the plane, we'd taken 30 students from all over Asia Pac. We'd wined them and dined them and they spent, you know, breakout rooms together and big whiteboarding sessions and design thinking workshops and soft skills and, you know, head lecturers from Sanford Uni. We were having a great time. And then there was this sudden thump down to reality and it was like, well, hang on a minute. This program was designed to have these in-person elements and our classroom learning was very, very different to obviously what you can achieve over mediums like Zoom. Right. So all of a sudden I was leading this program. We were in week three pandemic hits and we have to change everything and really roll with the punches. And so I was able to run that program and sort of develop as I went the changes that we needed to make that successful. And then we kind of, I guess there was a period like everybody where we scrambled for a little while and then we found our (laughs) new happy medium. (laughs) And so this program, what ended up happening was we used to have three weeks in person and we had to take those 40 hours in person. So 120 hours. How do you do that on Zoom? Like that's fatigue. In itself, and it became really cumbersome really quickly. So I got involved in redesigning that program. Simultaneously, we were launching the next level down, sort of the baby brother, the CTA program, our certified technical architect. And with success with that, and with success finding the right tool to be able to make this scalable and repeatable, I've then been helping other areas of our training and certification organization. So helping our Skill Bridge Vet program, our Next Gen program, which is designed to bring people with zero digital literacy into tech roles and also some other random things that we've been doing in the cohort space as well. That's wow. That's a lot. Before we get, we go down the path and talk about like there's, you gave me a litany of all kinds of different things that go into building a great program like this. Well, let's talk about two things. One, you hit COVID. So in general was the, 
and I have to ask this question again out of ignorance. I was I was there at that time, like you were, working with transitioning live programs. And you know, now where we go to the client, we'd be there in front of them. Are you saying that prior to COVID, you were also in that motif of we are absolutely in person because we need to be, and that's why everything shifted dramatically for you when most people were doing that as well? Yeah, so there was elements of our program that were in person and there was Mm -hmm. elements that were virtual. And so the program was designed over six months and we would meet at the start in person, then we would return 12 weeks later and 12 weeks later. So what ended up happening was that obviously changed. And the the reason that we would bring people together was to build those strong relationships with people and almost build that circle of trust. You're in a small cohort, you're Mm -hmm. in a small group of people, these people are your new trusted advisors. These are your new best friends. These are the people that you're going to be working very tightly with, not only through the duration of the program, but beyond that, these are are your new best friends. And so when you can't meet in person, there's a change to that human element with that as well. Like it's much harder to meet virtually and form the same connections. And so we needed to get creative with how we did that. And so part of the redesign that I did was to make sure we've gone back to in-person but we mm-hmm. have we have scaled that right back. So we've gone back to just one week in person over a now redesigned 20-week um, program instead of 36 weeks. And we have made everything ready that if we needed to pull the trigger and move it virtual, that we can do that in a safe, safe space as well. So those things were things that three or four years ago we would never thought about in the program design. And people were just happy to jump on planes and be in person and, you know, oh, yeah, the case of yeah, for the case of the students that I was working with, it was for many of them their first time doing international flights and things like that. And so there was an excitement around doing that and bringing those people together. But I have to say that, well, learn, I'm sure we will get into it you know, with the program redesign and with the changes that we have made. I actually think the program is far more successful today than it was a couple of years ago because we have been more precise in how we do things. We have given thought to everything that we do uh, and the impact of that, both on a virtual engagement scale and a physical in the room kind of element as well. So I think, you know, designing with intent and knowing the ramifications of what this could look like if things change, I think that has been something that set us up for more scalable success in this space as well. That's a really great point. Actually, that's an exceptionally great point because you, you know, I think I'd like to get you talking about your background a little bit before we go more deep into what you're doing. Because I think one of the, like, we bring our whole selves to work. Me, I had a background in STEM, you know, science and education and different things. And I have to tell you, equally, I was, com- I was completely blown away by what happened during COVID. It changed the world. And think about it, we have children and children are going to school and now they're mobile. And if you want a really great example of cohort learning, I would think the, the, the classroom has a lot to do with that because kids are learning socially from each other, cues and things they do, bad habits, picking the nose, you know. <laughs> we don't want those kinds of things. But we had to quickly learn in, I'll give you an example, at Outreach, when I was at Outreach at the time, now we have leadership going, oh my God, now the things that we are going to do don't work. What other things can we do? So you're scrambling. Now we've learned. This episode is brought to you by Vidiate. 
Vidiate automates the creation of software videos, making it super fast and easy to produce up-to-date content with every new release. From script to screen, with no in-between, you're able to skip all the manual labor of production by simply plugging in a script to the platform and then watching that video come to life in real time. Check it out today at video.io. So tell me what you, what is a little bit more about your background. How did you get into this, fall into this world where you're, you're doing some really cool stuff? And you remind me again, again, what your title is, because I think you have a lot of scope within your role. Yeah, so my title now is the Director of Collaborative Learning. And that was something that I kind of noodled on for a long time as to what that looked like, because what I wanted to do was not just be focused on curriculum, but I wanted to ensure that there was best practices across the end-to-end journey for these students. So have Uh they got the prerequisites? How do they pay? How do we survey them at the end? What does the alumni program look like? So not just for example, the 20 weeks they're in the program, but all of the bookends either side of that. So my background prior to that role, my current role, I was doing the innovation for our expert programs and the delivery of their master architect program. Before that, Mm -hmm. I was a project manager for ServiceNow implementations prior to that. But I have probably 20 years, makes me sound old, 20 years before that, where I worked in the field of IT service management. I did help desk transformations. I stood up a lot of implementations of help desks and auditing and things like that. But I have always worn a dual hat in education as well. So many years ago, actually at the time when September 11, another big event hit, uh, I was working for a major hotel chain in their corporate office training their corporate people on basic Microsoft Office skills. So if you think Mm -hmm. back to, you know, 20 something years ago, it wasn't the norm that people had computers on their desk and they hadn't been trained in the basics of Microsoft Outlook and Word and Excel and PowerPoint and things like that. And so I fast became the go-to person. I just happened to be really great at that stuff. I'd been an EA as I came out of school. And so I started by doing little, you know, brown bag lunch sessions with people and sort of saying, okay, you need to learn how to use your diary. You're going from paper diary to electronic. Mm -hmm. And so with all of that, I saw opportunity. And this was, again, around that kind of time where Hotels were going down in terms of people staying in them and traveling and things post September 11. And I put a proposal to my manager to, first of all, I went and became a certified trainer, workplace assessor, and I skills assessed 400 and something people. And I sat with HR and I said, right, if you're a sales manager, this is the level of skills that you should have in these basic corporate tools. And then we put them through this test and sort of did a litmus test on everybody and said, right, HR, where do you think they need to be? What's the gap? And then I looked at the gap and I scheduled the training and I wrote all of the curriculum to national standards and delivered it. And we saw an astronomical improvement in those people in their performance and what they were doing. And so the calls coming through to my help desk, which I was managing as my normal day job, the calls coming through changed and they were more excited to do more, learn more, explore more. And the questions they were asking were because they saw the possibilities and they had a little bit of power to go a long way. And so that was kind of my foray into education. And then I ended up specializing in help desk management for a while. And I worked for the Help Desk Institute for a little while, delivering their certified program. So I've always kind of had this dual hat of training with technology and also not afraid to roll my my sleeves up and put my hands on keyboards and do things as well. And so I think that's all collided where I am today. 
and shows up that I have experience in doing things and I've been in the trenches and done some of these roles and experienced, you know, for example, ServiceNow implementations, I've been in the field with the people that we're training so I know what to expect and kind of the calibre of what we're looking for. So all of that has kind of landed me where I am today and it's a pretty exciting place because it seems to me that it's not somewhere outside of school and higher education. There's a lot of people doing this in the corporate space and doing it well and doing it at scale and doing it uh, with scalability as a leading goal of what they're trying to achieve as well. Well, I can tell how artful you are in your skill set because you've made the best seg into our next topic. <laughs> That's what you pick up on, that nuanced, we're going to move on to this topic without saying so. So let's do that. And what I want to do, and thank you for taking the, the, the time for your biography, your autobiography, because the other thing that I think is really important to do is connect with our audience or people like you and I, Right. I came from a really geeky background, but I was my my favorite role. I was a customer support scientist. Does that, that even go. mean, Dave? <laughs> I questioned that for a while. It took me most of my first year of doing the role to understand it. But what I was doing is I had been a scientist, right? I have a master's in computational chemistry. So, but I worked in support for a, chemi- a startup company that built software around working with molecules and doing lots of complicated things with them. And I found that that pedigree of, okay, I was in the lab, but I did training. I was kind of like you. And then I came in through that IT mix of things. So I knew a little bit about the job focus, but I knew a lot about IT. And many of us are falling into this field where use, I'm talking breaking the, the, third, the fourth wall here, folks feel comfortable with the diversity of background that you bring to the role. Because that's why, Shelly, you've been an innovator. You've seen, I've connected this dot to this dot to this dot and go, oh, now I know because I've been in the field. I've done the role. I've helped ITSM. I've helped build support programs. You're in a perfect place for service now. <laughs> yeah. It does feel like, like that. And I do sort of get excited about the possibilities of where we, you know, not only where we are, but where we can go and, Right. You're right. I do I do look at things in a bit of a unique perspective and sometimes that's a double-edged sword, but it is good to have <laughs> good to be able to back up that experience. And actually, I think that's how many of us come into customer education. We are passionate about a particular topic and we sort of end up being that natural person that's at the front of the room because of their expertise or whatever the case may be and yeah. facilitating yeah. something. And before you know it, you're you're in curriculum maybe not in a formal way, but you're doing it in an informal way or you're doing instructional design, you don't even know that you're doing it. So <laughs> I think many of us end up here in a, in a not a direct way. We, don't, we certainly don't go to school and think, when I grow up, I want to work in customer education. Yeah, but that's, okay, let's, let's take that power, right? Because again, I wanted to make that a point because that's why you're valuable in what you do, what you do, Shelly. And you've got some key takeaways here. And, I, and let me let me thread the needle. And we've got about 20 minutes or so to go talk about this. But you said a couple things before. And here we are, we're focusing on cohorts. Again, a grouping of people working together to learn, learn collaboratively and work together as their best friends, right? Their peers, They're, they all have something to contribute. But you also have something to give. We're moving together through emotion. And you're also talking about scaling that for a global market. Because... Okay, I work at Service Rocket, not ServiceNow, another one of the service companies. We do all services. 
but we have team members all throughout the world. And it's really important then because now you're keying in on localization, different things, nuances of how people culturally react and react in Japan versus Australia versus the United States. How about we get into some keys? So you've designed these programs. And I know you've enumerated six different things that you've learned about <laughs> from hard knocks <laughs> or what have you. Can we break into this? I think that'll take us through the rest of the show and be really good, helpful stuff. Because Absolutely. again, customer education is new and not new. And as Adam said one day, Adam Evermeski said, this is about the art of the possible. I love that term. The original space where you can say, oh, let's try this and experiment. And hey, that worked or it failed miserably. Let's not do that again. So, okay, here you are. Now you've learned all these great things. You've come off this talk at ATD. I'm sure if you have a link and you can show us that later, I would love to be able to watch that video if they get recorded. So you've got the floor. Let's talk about all of these things, starting with maybe how do you harness the enthusiasm of learning themselves? If you think about when you're sitting at your desk and maybe your manager signs you up for one of these cohort programs, you're generally excited. Like for most of the most people, particularly for the programs that we're offering, we're offering people a potential to break into the tech industry or we're offering our most elite a place in a really specialized course, then they're enthusiastic and they're keen to be there. So one of my fundamental principles when I'm designing these programs is how do you harness that before these people even start? And so for our most elite programs, we bring them into our uh, cohort learning platform one month prior to their kickoff. And we start to start to drip feed them with information about the program so they know things like time commitments and expectations. But okay. we also build things in there like their first missions to introduce themselves to their cohort. And so already a month before they're started, they're actually forming relationships with these people and it's virtual but we frame those activities in a way was this is how you get your first badge in the program on. This is how you meet the people that you're going to be working with. And so they're sharing pictures of their families and their dogs and, you know, whatever hobbies and things they're into. And our platform allows us to do the social media type liking and commenting on things. And so there is engagement there. And then we sort of start to drip feed them uh, with a week to go. We drip them things like here's a video of the case study that you'll be working on in the program. And so they kind of do all of that to front load the program and bring them in. They're connecting with people. Our platform allows them to update their profile and then all of a sudden they're all connecting on LinkedIn. And so all of those relationship building is happening while people are eager to impress. And then huh. dovetailing into that is the whole concept of gamification. So we see the leaderboards going up because the more content they're completing in that pre-work they're at the top of the leaderboard and so they're, they're kind of fighting over that. And so all of these things um, seem fun and gimmicky to them, but when you're actually designing these programs, they're very intentional and they're designed to do exactly that. They're designed to get them excited, bring them in, build those relationships and do all of these things that we have been trying to find ways to do these over things like Zoom and breakout rooms and things like that. And so all yeah. of these things are happening. We've got discussion boards going on in there. And just an example there before we move on to my next point, but we have an in-person event for one of these programs and that's the first thing they do. And so we have a discussion board that specifically talks to them about, hey, when are you flying in? Do you want to connect with people coming in on the same flights and things like that? And so again, it's about building those relationships because it's often those water cooler chats that actually are the game changers for how these people interact together. And so 
again, all intentional because we've got 40 hours of content in that first week. We want to maximize that time and we don't want to spend the first hour and a half going around the room saying, hi, I'm Shelly. I'm from Australia. This is my job. So all of that is done. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Shelly. That's all done before, before they even start and highly successful in what we're seeing as well. And it seems like it's one step removed because if you are having individuals do that in their own terms with a little bit of prompting, it's not a lot of work on you. It's not onerous, in other words. And yes, absolutely. And it's also built for scalability. So if we have got cohorts of one or 200 people, Mm -hmm. we're not having in there and micromanage that. And then as we move down the line in some of our programs, we actually then break them out into smaller learning groups, Mm -hmm. learning pod, study groups, whatever you want to call them. And so they then get put in smaller bundles of anywhere between three, five, 10 people. And so then they break out into smaller cohorts and they work on activities over the duration of their program together as well. And so it's intentional then to share the list of who's in your group because if you're, you know, a social media stalker like me, you will go and look at those people and connect with those people and engage with those people. Hey, I see we're in the same group together. So all of those conversations are happening without the need, like you say, for intervention by the instructors and and sort of forcing those relationships. Oh, my gosh. So I already see, again, going back to the art of the possible, while... I want to thread back the concept of gamification and badging. That stuff is fun and it's motivational. There's a dopamine hit when people get a badge or something. And I I found even at other places, when you offer those little things, people will do the work themselves because they're motivated to do so. Just intrinsically. And it looks fun. And then they've got the social... Uh, I, what, what, what do I like to use? The, the, you, you come out with a social pedigree because mm-hmm. you, you, like, you can't escape working with a peer group and having like in you know, university when we did that, well, somebody always did the bulk of the work. But <laughs> here, we got a job to do too. I, I don't want to take you too down, far down the road, but can you list some of the tooling that you're using? You said gamification, you said badging. What are the kinds of tools that you would use for delivery? Uh, so we use a platform called Intrepid and it's made okay. by Vitalsource. So we use Intrepid and it's been highly successful for us. I had to go in and fight with a colleague of mine to build a business case for that because we have our own homegrown LMS on the ServiceNow platform. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. unfortunately, it's not designed for cohort learning. It's designed to be an LMS. And so we were trying for a long time to put a round peg in a square hole. And so we put requirements together and Intrepid met 72 out of our 76 requirements for what we needed. And our own internal tools met 22. And so it was a pretty compelling business case. And so not only did we implement Intrepid, but we also bought integration through Intrepid to a tool called Bongo. And Bongo does video assessment uh, options for us in the program as well, which has absolutely changed the way that we design our programs. And it changes a lot of things for us in terms of being able to provide peer reviews and feedback from peers, as well as AI reporting out back to those people as well. And so those two tools have enabled us to scale, have enabled us to build programs that do drive learner engagement and have Mm -hmm. provided us with enormous leap forwards in terms of the back office processes for our teams as well. And so to tie back into the gamification side of things, we build some of our programs to say that when you get the badge for the week, you know that you have done all the mandatory criteria. We won't let you sit your final certification exam until you have all the badges. 
And so we sort of drive that behavior around all of that. And so, but what that does for our admin team is to say, have they got the badge? Have they got all 20 badges? All right, well, you can't book the exam. Instead of us down into, have they done this piece of content? Did they go to that event? It's all sort of self-managing in the background. And we put that responsibility back on the learner to complete those things. You know, I think you found a secret that I, I know my team at and a couple of places stumbled upon this very one. We were trying to do all this math and like merging lookups, looking at databases and all this stuff. And finally, one of my friends is also named Dave. We're sitting there looking at it. It's like, if they get this badge, they're done, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the secret sauce, as you say. It's the secret sauce. But... I have to say that gamification doesn't work for every audience in that way. Like you said, it's exciting. It's never been hit. You can roll that up for the motivated learner. You also have to be mindful that it doesn't make motivate every learner. And so you have to make sure that you have ways and means around those things as well. So our entry-level programs, they don't have the same drive and determination as some of our experts that are really driven to get that certification piece of paper. And so our approach to gamification in some of those entry-level programs is is different. We just need you to do maybe three of these 10 things and then you get your badge as opposed to we need you to do all 10 of those things. So it's it's very different, but, you know, making your badges sexy and fun looking and um, a bit of a journey for them, theming them, like all of those um, design elements come into this as well. That's fabulous. If you want to grow your business, you need to educate and engage your customers at every point of the funnel. So Thinkific Plus can help you do just that with their powerful learning platform that's so easy to use. Thinkific Plus believes that customer education can combat the common challenges of recurring revenue, like churn. So Thinkific Plus has created a purpose-built platform for agile teams that allows you to create impactful educational experiences for your customers. That means you can find new ways to engage with them. You can drive adoption, renewals, expansion, and growth, everything that a business cares about. So reimagine education for your customers' success with Thinkific Plus. You can get one month of Thinkific Plus for free with our special code. Go to thinkific.com slash C-E-L-A-B-S. That's thinkific.com slash C-Labs. Okay, let's go through. We're running a little shorter on time than I'd hope because I, I want to talk to you forever about this. This is really intriguing. So tell me more about, uh, like, I'll let you steer. What would be the next big takeaway that you pull out of your, 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 some of your more recent presentations and what is your narrative? I think there's a, I mean, there's a couple of things, but I think the two things that I think are, are really important is relationship building. So making sure that they can learn from each other. And I think we've covered off some of that. But also when you design programs, don't continually do the same thing over and over. Like feel free to look at the toolbox and everything that you have available to you and think about varying up your modalities, changing the way that you engage with people, the types of assessments that they do. And that probably then leads me into that segue of having that video assessment option allows us to be able to do different things that we never would have been able to before. So as I mentioned, we do elements of, you know, we have knowledge checks, we have submit documents, we have live events, we can allow them to catch up on recordings, we can do all of those things, we can have live (laughs) classrooms, instructor-led, self-paced, every different thing. But having the ability to do video assessment where you can actually eyeball somebody and see that they've actually learned a skill and they've been able to do that in a safe place where it's safe to fail, 
it's safe to succeed, it's safe to try something new. And we do that many times in our programs. And so all of these things allow us to produce more job-ready people at the end, people with skills that can go back. You know, if you're in week four of the program and you do an activity that's designed right, in week five, you're in your job back at your desk applying those skills that you've learnt the week before. You don't have to wait until you've got a piece of paper at the end or the end of the 20-week program. So all of those things I think are really important when you're designing programs like these to, you know, to worldwide audiences. Yeah, and you're doing it in a scalable way as well. And I like the concept that I think it's really worth reiterating what you said about the different motions or we in learning, we call them different learning interventions. They don't have to be traditional. I think one of the things that I thought, and I've met the Bongo team and learned, I'd like to have them on the show at some point. So we'll, we'll keep it a little bit, you know, it's not steal our thunder, but it's really cool when you see AI and machine learning start to tackle the problem space around me needing that. Let's go back to that safe space. That's really important. If I'm standing up in front of you and I'm new and you said, Dave, here's your script and here's your enablement material. And I want you to walk through this back and teach back. Oh my God, is that scary. And especially if I'm an introvert, I am not. I will stumble through it and have a good old time with it and probably make more fun out of me failing about it and bumbling through. So, you know, the first person that gets through gets the a little bit more grace and everybody else they get more critical on. But what I've seen out of Bongo is like you can look for, did you say the keyword? Did you know, and it's not so over cognitive overload for you as the educator who has to sieve through all this content, you're getting an assist, right? Right. You, you do get that leg up on that. And what's really cool about that is that, you know, some of the curriculum in some of the programs that we run is around presentation skills. And so Bongo straight away says, you have a filler word. Sure. Some people aren't even yeah. aware that they say like or so at the start of every sentence. Like and so totally. it gives them... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't it a big Australian one? So I, I see that a lot. But as an instructor, I would rather focus on did you hit the learning objective for the assessment and here's some sure. extra stuff. So Bongo, Bongo actually gives us filler words. It gives us a report on their pitch, their pace, their keywords and things like that. Um, going to spoil uh, a surprise for Bongo, but they've got more stuff coming in this space that have been involved in some beta testing that's really exciting. Was there too much humour used? Are you confident? Like all of those things where uh, the AI report gives you those indicators. Sure, there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes into that, particularly around culture and, you know, people in different backgrounds and audiences. But it's a tool for the, not only for the student, but it's a tool for the instructor. Yes, it's not going to mark you and that's not going to count to your final output, but here's an indicator. Here's things to work on. And, and one of our programs, we actually do uh, 12 weeks and they do a group, they do group work over 12 weeks and then they do an individual one at the end, an ind individual capstone thing. And the difference that you see in the improvement of these presentations from one week to the next is huge because in week one, they submit, they get the AI report for the very first time, they get peer-reviewed by other people in a rubric where they can be provided with feedback against the learning objectives that they're working towards. Uh -huh. And then we, bring them, then we bring them together in a live call and a couple of those groups get selected to present the same thing live that they've submitted in their video assessment. And so they pick a diverse range of these things. And what tends to happen is they've already got their feedback, say, on Thursday from their peers. They've asked to be mm. presented at the live session on Friday and they go and incorporate those changes and present live. 
And so over the course of 12 weeks of this process happening, the growth that we see in these students in the types of presentations they're doing, the filler words disappear, the confidence grows, and they're incorporating peer feedback every week. They're incorporating instructor feedback and they're getting live feedback in a session as well. And so it's a growth tool for them over the course of the program as well. This is, this is pretty cool because you're, it, it sounds to me like, you know, I, I don't have a lot of familiarity. I'll show my own ignorance. I've fallen into the world of customer education like you have by, by heart and passion and following a lead. But what I've seen from other disciplines like talent development and such is they've got the understandings of how to do these kinds of things. In customer, we've been more scrappy. Just get the content out there, right? But here... Mm-hmm. Now you're making a formative journey. And you know, I, I'll go ahead to a couple of the bullets that you talked about because they make sense and they're relevant now. We're in a world of real job skill gaps. To name my experiences from you know, like hard knocks at Gainsight, one of the problems that I had on my plate when I was leading their education program was it wasn't about getting the education built, it was about understanding those gaps and preparing an individual for job readiness. In this case, Gainsight was easy to understand from the external, but the hard part was it was database work. And the people coming into the field didn't know this stuff. Job readiness, right? And we built... I Gosh, I wish I'd talked to you seven years ago when we were doing this. Because to me, for partner enablement, for, for real good development of an administrator... And the people that we depend upon, this cohort modality gives, you know, I always like to use the term about education as a warm hug, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I care about you. There are other people that care about you and share your pain. And we're all working together to help each other. And you can call those people at any time because they're your friends now. So you're yes. moving through your job with these other people. And now you get to get the leveling or raising all ships, right? And that you go from a warm hug to a group hug. A group. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think we kind of cohort learning the group hug for customer education. Oh, that's silly. Uh, Change my title. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. But uh, the other thing is that what what you've said to me and the approach of this kind of curriculum makes me feel so much better. And like, think about. It feel better in context of things like, hey, I need to build a certification program. Okay. Were I to do that in a canonical, old school, go through the psychometrics, blah, 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 build the test questions, test the questions. And that's on the other side of the human being taking that exam. That's a lot of work. And I don't know if that approach is as good as what you're showing because you're getting to the same ultimate learning outcome, but in a much more human and integrative way, right? Yeah, it's it's a valid point because when I look at um, a lot of our other mainline certifications, people can come and take the training, yeah. they can study and pass the exam, but can you put them in front of the customer the very next day and they're ready with experience to implement? One could argue not, probably against the better judgment of some of the people in that team, but The programs that we're developing in the cohort space, they are walking away with job readiness and it's not just technical skills, it's technical skills, power skills, business skills, 
personal skills. Like it's all of those things. It's about personal confidence and things like that, growing in that Mm. safety of, of peer reviews and things like that. And so I think what we see and why our programs are so highly sought after is that these cohort programs give them more than just follow the steps in a lab or a piece of paper with mm-hmm. a certification. They actually give them those real-life skills. And we're in a world where there is a digital skill shortage. We are growing, you know, particularly for service now, we are growing faster than the skills can keep up. And so there is, a, you know, there's a massive skill shortage in the service now space as well. And so we're trying to address that. And cohort learning is just one of the many facets that we can do that. But I would argue that it provides more true job readiness for our customers and our partners than some of our other training programs in terms of where these people are at in their learning journey as well. And so I mentioned we do do this for our expert programs. And so for those people that have been through all of those mainline certifications and have done that and have done countless implementations, what's next? Well, here's a program where you can learn from other people, build on your soft skills grow the things beyond your technical skills and pull your technical expertise in with those business skills. And when you put those together, bam, you have a powerhouse person out there in the field representing ServiceNow. Game changer. Game changer for sure. Would you, I I guess this is just a, a me asking a dumb question, but it almost seems to me if I were going to restart, start a new program, go to a new company, that I would lean more heavily towards this cohort learning program model or motif than I would I would actually want to deflect requests for certification because, and I want to say this out loud again, from many different engagements with executives and leaders, I hear this. Oh, a certification is important. I want to get that because it's a market differentiator. Okay. But the problem that I've experienced with that is it takes a long time to build. It's stultifyingly complicated. And it often doesn't obviate the need for the training. Like you kind of have to build the training alongside the certification. Whereas if I said, okay, I'm intrigued. I mean, you've sold me, Shelly, on this. This is the neatest thing I've, I've talked about in quite a long time. It's really complicated. This isn't a, a, a like a crawl moment. This is not when you're in a reactive state. This is when you're scaling and optimizing your programs, right? And you're more of a larger company, enterprise company. You've got the tools, but you've got the time to invest because this is an intimate program, meaning that we care about people and we're really getting in their heads and hearts. Yeah, for me, I think yeah. it's finding the moments that matter in that journey. What What's the goal? What are you trying to get to at the end? Where are the moments that matter in that learning space along the way? How do you design your program around that? Rather than I think in customer education, we run first to the curriculum or to the book or whatever it might be and then right. you know build it and they will come. Whereas you know the cohort learning is a different style. It's not going to work for everything that you want to do but I think that it's really valuable and where you want to nurture talent in a particular space like you're not going to do you know your foundation course that you have you know for your company that you're churning through you know huge volumes of people you're probably not going to do that in a cohort space you want to get people through that rapidly skill them get them out there being dangerous with their new skills cohort learning I think is for you know like I said you could have an onboarding cohort people coming through into a company for the first time, they're often put in a room together on day one and they go through a bit of an onboarding journey together. Sales programs, mm-hmm. leadership programs. Leadership programs is kind of that sort of key area where you could really thrive in this when they're learning from each other. But 
for us, we've found ways to introduce this for technical programs, but but also, you know, always focusing more than just the technical. And I think cohort learning can provide you with a lot of a lot more outputs than just that certification piece of paper at the end. You've actually got people that are championing what they're doing. They're, you know, they're more ready and able and they represent your brand really well with that piece of paper too, because you've put them through the right type of training to enable them to represent that certification badge at the end as well. Yeah, I could absolutely see this interleaving very well, where not only do you do the cohort training, but you also put the cherry on top of the Sunday at the end and say, you know, great work, you're certified, but you also have this litany of little micro badges and things that you've journeyed on the way, and friends and peers. And you probably have done things like um, we used to do it when we did this talent development kind of approach at Gainsight when I worked there, we would bring in people like yourself and others through the company like the, hey, we're going to meet the head of our, our customer support team. And today we're going to meet the head of our professional services team. So you're building a substrate of interconnectivity. For, you're building the family. Yes. <laughs> you know? That's absolutely how we run our, our master architect program. We actually have subject matter experts in our product key developers in our product teams come in and present mm-hmm. live each week. And so they're getting those, I call it the VIP path to our product teams. And so uh, that's, you know, these people give out their personal email addresses that they don't give to others. And so, you know, that empowers these people. And I think, right, next time I'm in the field with a problem, I can go straight to the product team that's developing this and talk to them. And so it brings that relationship. We also put them into a community of alumni post-certification as well. And so mm-hmm. there's aspect of that. So the journey doesn't stop when they get certified. That's just the start of the next part of their journey. So this is about a moment in time or a journey that they're going on, but it's just part of you know a larger journey as well. What a truly cool way to think about the evolution of your program. And what, I guess the last question I would have for you, Shelley, that is probably the most obvious is, okay, and this is where I tee up people to talk to you. When is this time when when it would be appropriate for me? Now, I, I tend to think about the continuity, the spectrum of... Okay, slow down, Dave. <laughs> I get to catch up to my brain. Uh, I think of that crossing the chasm curve of how a product's life cycle grows from, hey, you know, first people come to you and they're working it out and now we're building, you know, crawl, walk, run, et cetera, and you're trying to build a program. Generally, when I talk about software as a service, B2B, B2C, we have various milestones within that. Like, hey, C, you're just starting out. Series A, B, C, your company is starting to become a real company. D, E, F, G, and all the letters that come after that, you're a real company and you're, you're actually probably profitable. And then you exit and you become either acquired, you become a, a new IPO, or you go internal and you become a private company. Whatever the case, where where is it in a journey of a company? And I know you're working within one. Where would you see, and, and you would encourage somebody to come talk to you about this or learn more? Uh, I think at any point in the journey, because it would depend on the type of programs that you're wanting to offer. I mean, I've spoken to another a number of people in this space and they're, mm-hmm. all, they're doing different types of cohort learning to what we are. And so I think it depends on what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? Um, Where you are? Do you want to scale or do you just want to build it for, you know, we're going to run 20 students every month 
they're going to do a four-week program, like whatever that is, I think that there's so many different ways that you can slice and dice this mm-hmm. that, that there is a place for this no matter where your maturity level is. But I would think that, you know, it's a case of understanding what your goals and objectives are, where you're at, you know, and, and part of those goals, goals and objectives is how many people are involved here? What are the skills that we want them to take away with? What are we trying to do? Is this the right modality? And I think that if you're wanting to have like-minded individuals in the room and learn from each other as well, and that's, you know, something that could help you achieve those goals, then cohort learning should be on the table and you should come and, you know, talk to myself or other people like me that do this as part of their day jobs. Wonderful. Okay. I think that's a really great natural place to to move on. But what I'd like to do is, again, give you some attribution. And let me put up my little banner here for you. I've got a LinkedIn. Uh, it, how do you prefer people to reach out to you if they want to learn more? Yeah, so LinkedIn, LinkedIn would be a great. Yeah, LinkedIn would be a great place to start. Easiest way to find me, Shelley Grieve on LinkedIn. Shelley with an IE is always the the part that trips people up. Yeah, Shelley with an IE. <laughs> uh, but you can find me. You can also Google me and find some of the webinars and things that I've done in this space before, and some real use case examples uh, of the successful programs that we've had and the, and the award winning programs that we've delivered in this in this modality. I love it. And I think there's a lot of folks. And if you're out there listening and you go, this catches your attention, reach out and ask questions and be curious because these kinds of verbs, these kinds of different kinds of interactions are extremely important for us to start picking up, using and growing our programs. Absolutely. And I would say that those people that are doing this well also connect because I would love to learn from you as well. Yeah, we we need to learn from each other. That's why we've asked you on the show. And I want to thank you very much. Anything out as we're walking out the door that you want to bring attention to? You're at ServiceNow. We've given you contact. Anybody you want to say hi to? Other things that you're interested in? And then we'll walk out the door. No, I just think that this is something that I'm extremely passionate about and love the opportunity to partner with great companies like Intrepid and, and Bongo. They've been amazing in helping us allow to influence their roadmaps and things like that as well. So shout out to my friends there and to all my hardworking folks back at ServiceNow. Great. And I think we'll take some network connections to both Intrepid and Bongo and try to get them on the show as well so that other people can learn more about them.